Amen. Hey, precious people, it is Easter Sunday. And it will be no surprise to you today that we're going to talk about the resurrection. When we think about the resurrection, that Jesus died, went into the grave, came up out of the grave, alive, majestic, glorious, it's stunning, it's amazing, and it's a surprise, right? It's always been a surprise. Let's think about it for a moment. See, in Jesus' time, there were loads of Jewish people that believed that there would be a resurrection. But a resurrection at the end of history, that all people at the same time would be resurrected to either eternal life or to eternal death. They had no comprehension that only one person would be resurrected first and then everyone else resurrected after that. So it was a a huge surprise to the Jews that Jesus actually resurrected. And then when we read the Gospels, we read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we see Jesus multiple times go to his disciples and say, look, fellas, I'm going to go to Jerusalem uh, where they're going to mock me, where they're going to torture me, where they're going to crucify me, and ultimately they're going to kill me. But don't worry, I'm going to rise from the dead. And he said this to them different times. Yet on Easter morning, we don't see the 12 compadres stood outside the tomb going, five, four, three, two, one. Do we? No one saw his resurrection coming, even though he had told them. And it was a massive surprise, even to Jesus' closest buddies, his disciples. Now we could talk today about whether the resurrection of Jesus is actually true. We could talk about the disciples of Jesus, you know, these guys that had walked with him, that had talked with him, that had been with him for three years. These guys that had seen him perform miracle after miracle after miracle. And we could talk about how as soon as Jesus was arrested, they were all crippled in fear. Uh, they, They scattered. They were hiding in the shadows. They were on the run. We could talk about how after the resurrection of Jesus, this petrified bunch of splitters suddenly became bold and courageous, all of them now willing to die for their faith which most of them eventually did, being beheaded, skinned alive, burnt, crucified, even crucified upside down. We could talk about what could have possibly happened to these guys to change their mind. Or we could talk about, arguably, the best piece of evidence for the resurrection being true, and that's the fact that Jesus' own brother, James, eventually becomes one of his followers. James is, is one of the guys who, he wrote the book of James in the Bible, and think about this. What would your brother have to do to convince you that he was the son of God? He'd have to rise from the dead, right? 
Like the only thing that would convince you would literally have to be resurrection for you to accept that your brother was the son of God and then to follow him. Now there's all kinds of evidence that we could talk about to prove that the resurrection of Jesus is true. But today's Easter message is not about why the resurrection of Jesus is true. Today's message is about why we should want the resurrection of Jesus to be true. Now you might be watching this and thinking, well, I'm not even interested in all this. I've literally been dragged in front of a screen today by a friend or a family member because it's Easter Sunday. Maybe some of you are like, well, I could investigate the evidence and the history for myself. But my guess is that you wouldn't do that if you don't at least want the resurrection to be true. So to try and answer this question, why should we want the resurrection to be true? We're going to look at 1 Corinthians 15. So if you have a Bible, would you uh, turn there now? Otherwise, it's going to come up on the screen. And what we see here at the beginning of 1 Corinthians 15 is the Apostle Paul writing a letter to a church in Corinth, which is in modern-day Greece. If you're not familiar with uh, the Apostle Paul, then he was a Jewish scholar uh, who was extremely zealous for Judaism. So zealous, in fact, that he endorsed the persecution and killings of many Christians. And in the middle of all Paul's uh, mayhem tracking down and persecuting Christians, he meets the resurrected Jesus and his life is completely and utterly changed. He goes from being one of Christianity's biggest enemies to being one of Christianity's biggest advocates. He goes from being one of Christianity's greatest challenges to being one of Christianity's greatest champions. And one of the churches he helped start is this church in Corinth. And he writes this letter to them, and at the beginning of chapter 15, he's reminding them about the gospel he shared with them. So let's read from 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 15, verse 1, and it says this. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By the gospel, you are saved. If you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. Now, as many of you know, the word gospel means good news. And it's good news about something that's happened. This gospel, this good news is something Paul is saying should be proclaimed and preached. And Paul's reminding them of this. Let's read on from verse three. It says, for what I received I pass on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, to Peter, and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though of some have fallen asleep, some have died. 
Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. For I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I I persecuted the church of God. Paul is reminding this church here in Corinth about the good news of the gospel. And I'm standing here just a couple of thousand years later speaking to you, precious coastline vineyard church family, and I want to remind you afresh of the good news of the gospel. Over this last year through this pandemic, we have all suffered and been unsettled in one way or another, and our head and our heart space may have been filled up with all kinds of things. But whatever has been going on for you personally, and whatever ways you may have tried to cope in this last year or so, Paul wants you to know, and I want you to know, and maybe bring you back to today, the thing of first importance is the gospel. The thing of most importance to us as Christians should be the gospel. That Jesus died that he rose, that he came back from the grave. And because of this good news, because of the resurrection, Jesus brings us joy from sorrow, hope from hopelessness, purpose from pain, freedom from fear, victory from defeat, and life from death. Do you know the truth of the gospel in your life today? Paul is saying here in 1 Corinthians 15 that the core of the Christian faith is the death and the resurrection of Jesus. Now we're not going to look at all of this uh, chapter, but what we do see, if you want to read it afterwards, is that Paul starts to unpack why the resurrection of Jesus really matters. And one of the things I want to highlight is something that he says in verse 20 of the resurrection. He says this, He said, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. He says the resurrection of Jesus is the first fruits of our resurrection. See, if you're a farmer, the first fruits are the the first things that come up, the first first grain that sprouts, and it's evidence that there's going to be a harvest See, the first fruits of Jesus is the first fruits of our resurrection. We are the harvest to follow the first fruit. And that's something that we should want to be true. That because of Jesus' resurrection, we will be resurrected as well. See, the overarching and mind-blowing truth about the resurrection of Jesus is that the resurrection of Jesus initiates the world we all long for. The resurrection of Jesus initiates the world we all long for. You say, well, John, what do you mean by that? Well, if we're honest with ourselves, we all long for a better world. Maybe we don't think about it so much But let's stop and let's think about this right now. What is the world that we all long for? What kind of world would it be? 
I think if we were all here now, we'd come up with wanting a world where people are kind, a world where people are loving, where people don't just use other people to get their needs met, a world where people love unconditionally, a love that's not earned or manipulated or forced. We'd want a world where there's forgiveness, a world where there is real, total justice for all, where all people's character is marked with humility and not ego, where people always extend grace before judgment. We'd want a world with no pain and no suffering and no evil, and we'd want all of this in our world simultaneously. Well, let me tell you, friends, This is the world that we all long for, and this is the world that Jesus' resurrection initiates, and it's called the kingdom of God. See, the Bible actually starts with a story about the kingdom of God. In the very beginning, God creates everything, and he puts Adam and Eve in a garden. And that garden, you could say, is the kingdom of God. And in the kingdom of God, everything was right. Adam and Eve had closeness with God. They walked with God in the call of the day. They were in perfect relationship with him. Adam and Eve had closeness with one another. They were naked and unashamed, the Bible said, which meant they they were both totally comfortable in their own skin. No criticism of themselves at all. None of this, oh, my nose is too big, or I'm too short, or I'm, I'm not tall enough, or my teeth are wonky, or you know, all the people with curly hair want straight hair, and all the people with straight hair want curly hair. No, Adam and Eve were totally comfortable in their own skin. They were unashamed, and they got on perfectly with the rest of creation. And then in Genesis 3, the serpent comes along, tempts Adam and Eve, And the serpent says to them, can you really trust God? Are you really sure he is for you? Are you sure he's telling you the whole truth? Because I think he's holding things back from you. And what we see is Adam and Eve rebel against God. And in essence, they basically say, God, we don't need you. And sin enters into the world and the kingdom of selfishness began And that's where we all live today. We live in a world that's driven by selfish ambition, where people are self-absorbed, unkind, unloving, unforgiving, unjust, where pain, suffering, and evil are part of our every day. But let me tell you, the resurrection of Jesus initiates the world we all long for, the kingdom of God. We see this as we look a little bit further on in verse 50. It says this. I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Let's think about this for a moment. What Paul is saying here is that we had the kingdom of God in the very beginning, And sin has alienated us from God. It has alienated us from one another. Where we all experience the kingdom of selfishness at points in our own hearts and our own minds. 
But what Jesus' resurrection did is it brought forth the kingdom of God. And what Paul is saying is the kingdom of God is so different from the kingdom of selfishness that you actually need a new body to fully take hold of it. He says, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. And what he's saying is, we don't need a perishable body, we need an imperishable body. And sadly, if you've looked into the mirror any time recently, you'll know your body, like mine, is perishing. I mean, it's getting wrinklier, and it's getting grayer, and it's getting achier and creakier. And all the young people are watching this at the moment going, John, what are you talking about? Check us out. Well, younglings, I'm sorry to tell you this, but us older folk are your future. We are. (laughs) Paul is saying here, you can't fully inherit the kingdom of God with a perishable body, a body that's been riddled with sin, a body that's been riddled with pain, a body that's been riddled with disease. All these things, in fact, are part of the world we don't want. He says, if you want to inherit the kingdom of God, you need to have a new, glorious, imperishable body. And then we read from verse 51, it says, listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised, imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. You might say, well, what's Paul going on about? Perishable versus imperishable, mortal uh, versus immortality. Well, this is all pointing to the fact that there is a kingdom of God, the world we all long for, the world with no more crying and no more tears, no more sin, no more sadness, no more suffering, and no more death. And this world has come and is coming in fullness when Jesus returns. See, when Jesus was raised from the dead, it's as if the kingdom of selfishness and the kingdom of God now overlap. See, as apprentices uh, of Jesus, we still live in a world of sin. We still disobey God from time to time. We, We do and say things that don't honor God. We still experience sickness and relational breakdowns. We all experience the different elements of sin in our world. And yet what Jesus has brought with his resurrection is the opportunity for us that trust in him to break away from the kingdom of selfishness and experience the kingdom of God on earth now and forever. To experience his unconditional love, his kindness, his mercy, his justice, his strength, his humility, his Holy Spirit power, and it's all available to us now. To experience new life now in the overlap of the two kingdoms. In the vineyard, we call this the the now and the not yet of the kingdom. 
See, what's happening when we accept new life in Jesus through his resurrection, we're getting a a foretaste, a, a preview of the kingdom to come because we're now united to Jesus by faith. I believe deep down in the human heart, we do all long for a better world. C.S. Lewis was one of the greatest philosophers of the 20th century, and he said this, he said, I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy. The only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. The resurrection of Jesus initiates that other world, the world that we all long for. Well, how does Jesus do that then? Well, he initiates this other world by destroying the sting of death. Verse 54 says this. It says, when the perishable have been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The the sting of death is sin, but the power of sin is the law. Paul is saying that when it comes to death, in the kingdom of selfishness, in this present age that we all live in, there's a sting to it. And what Paul is saying here is that in the resurrection of Jesus, The sting of sin and the sting of death has been removed. And now death actually is just an entrance into the new coming eternal kingdom of God with Jesus forever. It's not something we have to fear. It's not something we have to despair over. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? In Jesus' resurrection, he conquered Satan, he conquered sin, he conquered the sting of death. It has all been removed. And the world we've all longed for has come because of Jesus. There's nothing that we can do in our own power to get rid of sin and death in our lives today. Which is why it ends with this and says in verse 57, but thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. This victory has only come by what Jesus has done. And it's only through us in trusting him, in trusting what he has done, in his death, in his his resurrection, we can experience the world he's initiated, that world that we've all longed for. Now, many of you will know my story, but I thought it was just worth me briefly sharing again just a very small part of my testimony in light of what I've just talked about. Many of you know that when I was a younger man, I lived in darkness for years. Before accepting the good news of the gospel, I was addicted to drugs. I was involved in selling drugs. I was involved in all kinds of bad stuff. I was locked in the kingdom of selfishness. By the end of my drug use, I was psychotic. I was depressed. I was angry, hopeless, 
and I pretty much thought about suicide most days. But by the grace of God, I ended up in a rehab when I was 21 years old, at my 21st birthday in a rehab, and I got off of drugs. But the reality was there was still a hole in my soul. I still longed for more. And even though I was off the drugs, even though I was out of that bad lifestyle, I knew deep down that this world wasn't meant to be the way it is. I sensed, uh, I longed for a better world. And then I heard the good news of the gospel. I understood that I was separated from God by my sin. But by trusting in Jesus and his resurrection, I could receive forgiveness and new life with him now and new life with him forever. I found out that God actually had a plan for me on earth and that he had a part for me to play in sharing the gospel and extending the kingdom of God to those around me. So by faith, I believed in the good news of the gospel, in Jesus' resurrection, and I received his forgiveness, and he gave me new life with him. He has changed me, and he continues to change me from the inside out. Every day since I've chosen to follow Jesus, in the midst of all the troubles of life, he has given me purpose and freedom and peace and I'm not perfect, and I can still from time to time live in the kingdom of selfishness. Just ask my wife. (laughs) She'll tell you. But because of the gospel, because of Jesus' resurrection, because of him defeating sin and Satan and death, I am saved. And I get to live in the reality of the new world that he's initiated in the kingdom of God and see glimpses on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus has put in my heart the ability to love, to really show kindness and forgiveness and compassion and empathy and instill hope into this broken world. Let me tell you, church, if he can change my life, he can change anyone's life. This is why we should want the resurrection of Jesus to be true, because the resurrection of Jesus and the good news of the gospel actually transforms lives and and transforms families and transforms, transforms towns and transforms nations. The kingdom of God is here and the fullness of the kingdom of God is coming where we do get new bodies, where we get to inherit the fullness of the coming kingdom. But until then, we who believe in the resurrection of Jesus have purpose, have hope, and we get to be part of sharing God's love and advancing God's kingdom throughout the earth. My hope today is that the glorious transforming news of the gospel would be of first importance in your life afresh. Amen. Happy Easter Coastline.